going to try to act like normal, but that's heavy on the heart. I didn't get that. Did anybody get what hospital she's going? Pass. All right, Proverbs 18. <clears throat> My spontaneous scripture readers this morning are Mason, Gina. They're fighting over who gets verses 1 through 12, who gets 13 through 24. So coming up here, we'll do our best to get through it. After they pray, we'll, after they read, we'll pray together. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with the same, with shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It's not good to be partial to the wicked, and so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are, sna are a snare to their very lives. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a, a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who stares his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offends is more unyieldingly than a strong city. A, quarrel, a quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the powers of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. He will find a wife... A wife finds a good thing and obtain favor from the Lord. The poor uses in, in entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We lift up our sister Karen, ask you for provision and comfort and guidance and strength. Help her to recover from this episode. Help the medical team to figure out what's going wrong. May her doctor have wisdom to help her with what is best. Um, thank you for every day that we wake up, God. Thank you that we can 
see and move and breathe. We have so many days that we take for granted. Thank you for this reminder to praise you for every breath. Help us to use this day to focus on you and your word and your plans for us that are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I titled this, these observations I'm bringing out of Proverbs 18, these observations I've titled as Your Worst Enemy. Now you can jot down some verses. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's a familiar passage. But it doesn't say we only wrestle against spiritual powers. Earlier in the same book in Ephesians 2, I'm going to read it. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this, You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, there he is again, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The world, the devil, and our flesh, our own body and our own mind are working against us. And in Romans 7, 4, this is why the same author writes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from Satan? No. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Talk about the words of a broken man who understands I know what I should do and I can't do it. I know what I shouldn't do and I do that instead. What is wrong with me? My worst enemy is right here. In a theological sense, we can go back and blame the devil for introducing sin into humanity. He is the father of lies. But I swallow those lies. He doesn't have to force feed them. I pursue those lies. He just needs to dangle them. I'm my own worst enemy. I sin when I am led astray by my evil desires. I am my own worst enemy. And in Proverbs today, Solomon is going to talk about that. There's a lot there about speech and tongue. Catch all that again. It's there. I'm going to focus on something different today. Your first, your first blank in the outline. You need others for wisdom and judgment. Verse 1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When you isolate yourself, that doesn't just mean you are physically alone because you can be in a crowd and be thinking about yourself. 
You can be in a big family, but only be consumed with what you want. This is not about proximity. This is about your personality. This is about the way you let your mind and your life take shape. If you isolate yourself, you're seeking your own desire and you're breaking out against all sound judgment. It is foolish to avoid understanding others. Write that down. It is foolish when you avoid trying to understand other people. It's Proverbs eleven fourteen 14. Uh, we've done this verse before. There is wisdom and safety in an abundance of counselors, abundance of opinions. When you isolate yourself and you're seeking just what you want, what you think you want, you're breaking out against sound judgment. Sound judgment requires other people and you need to understand them. Even if you don't agree with them, at least you understand why they're saying what they're saying and it's bringing a new perspective to your life. You can't just listen to you. Solomon's observation. Verse two says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. So it is foolish to avoid other opinions. And to the side of that blank, you put verse two. Understanding other people helps you understand yourself again, even if you don't like what they say or disagree with what they say, at least listening to other people and and trying to understand their perspective, trying to understand their situation, trying to understand their stance, even on issues you have a clear stand on, it helps you formulate the truth of who God is and what God wants. But we have to be a people who listen. We should not out-yell our opponents. We do not win by insulting people. Spiritual matters are not about winning and losing. They're about representing God correctly. And Solomon observes, if you isolate yourself for your own desire, that is a bad idea. Because fools take pleasure in only themselves, not in understanding others. Fools take pleasure in only expressing their own opinion. How well can you articulate the opinions of those you disagree with? Probably not very well, which means you don't understand them. All you do is seek your own desire. And there can't be an exchange of ideas. There can't be any debate. There can't be any presentation of the gospel in their own understanding when all you do is... Think about yourself. Real evangelism requires relationship and the presentation of God's words appropriately. And understanding where people are coming from will help you think of different verses, think of different presentations, listening to people, interacting with their ideas. Can that be dangerous? Yes, it can be dangerous unless we have a really firm grasp 
of our own theology of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, how we exist and move and live in him, then he becomes our hope and our anchor no matter what the world throws at us. So we need others for wisdom and for judgment. It's foolish to avoid understanding other people and it's foolish to avoid other opinions. And then verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. It is foolish to avoid other opinions. And here's number two. You need others for accountability. Write that down. You need other people for accountability. This is verse 17. It goes hand in hand with verse one. We need other people. We need their wisdom and judgment, but we also need their pushback. We need to be cross-examined about our faith. We need to be cross-examined about whether or not we really believe what we say we believe. We need, we need some of that pushback. That is a good thing because your perspective on everything is limited. You have a very limited perspective on life. You have a very limited perspective on life in Enid. You have a really limited perspective on life in Oklahoma and an even more limited perspective on what it means to be an American and an extremely limited perspective on what it means to be a human on planet Earth with the thousands of languages, thousands of cultures, thousands of different experiences and ways of learning. People even speak differently, count differently, think differently. We are very, very limited in our perspective which means we also are only getting a really small sliver of who God is. The more you understand other believers and the way they glorify God and the way they worship God and the way they've learned about God, the way they've grown up hearing the gospel in a different culture and different setting, it expands your understanding of who God is. Having other people push back against us is a good thing. It's a good thing. It provides accountability. Write this down. We are all correct in our own heads. <laughs> Have you ever pre-planned your shopping adventure? You, you, you organized your list according to the aisles, according to, according to needs of refrigeration and perishability. You've organized according to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go clockwise through the store. You've, you've organized your shopping, and then you get there. What is, what, what's the first thing that happens? Well, let's, yeah, I'm, not, I'm getting to that point. Spoiler alert. It never goes to plan. Yeah, first thing, I can't park in my favorite spot. Next part, next problem. They're out of carts, or the cart I get is that one that you all get. Uh. And then, and this happens, overnight, Walmart changed all the aisles. Why in the world are the snacks and the chips and the breads, and that's like in the pet food aisle now. Why did you move that on me? It took me so long to find that. I guess they don't sell that anymore. Nobody needs bread anymore. Forever got, like, Walmart knows best. Your best laid plans in your head 
Don't go straight. What about your faith in your head? Have you considered that you don't know everything? Have you considered that you've got some things backwards, upside down, sideways, or a little tweaked? Have you ever wondered where in your theology you need more robust teaching? We need to be cross-examined. We need to be questioned. We need that pushback. Solomon sees that. You isolate yourself, you're breaking out against sound judgment. Anyone who states their case first, they seem right until somebody else comes and pushes back with a different perspective or a different experience or different truths. Doesn't mean the first person is wrong. It just means there's more to learn. We're all correct in our own heads and humble people, humble people invite other people into their lives, not push them out. The next blank is, Other perspectives balance everything. Other perspectives help bring balance to everything. So be open to correction. Be slow to correct others. My father-in-law preached this to his staff. He got it from Oswald Chambers. There's always one more fact that can change any situation. There's always one more fact you don't know, but if you knew it, it might change everything about that interaction, about that person, about their experience, your experience. There's always one more thing you don't know. Humbleness remembers that as we interact with people. We don't know everything. We need pushback. We need balance. We need accountability. And we need to let other people into our heads. Or at least we need a compartment in our brain that says, Lord, here are my plans. Help me be patient with Walmart, with my kids, with my kids' teachers, with my spouse, with my parents. We, we have to create that I'm just going to call it the humble closet. You need a humble closet in your head. A place where when everything goes crazy, you can get inside there and say, Lord, help. A place where you can still get on your knees, no matter what's going on in life. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, what do you need me to learn? What do I need to learn from these people who are questioning me? or pushing back, challenging me. What do I need? I didn't do the verses in order this week because in my Bible, one verse one is right here and directly across from it is verse, verse 17. And I just could not break that apart. We need others for wisdom and judgment and also for accountability. We need to be a people who listen to all other people. Pardon me for a moment while I stand on my soapbox. We need to be a people who can listen to all other people and learn to love them anyway and respect their opinion, especially if they're wrong. 
There's a time and a place to tell a fool that there is a fool. They're a fool. But there's a time and a place to shut your mouth because they're not listening. And we don't know that moment or the perfect timing for that. that we need discernment. And that only comes when you've spent time in the presence of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to be a person of prayer to be ready to encounter other people. We need to learn to agree with what is right and reject what is wrong, but not reject the people who are wrong. Not push them out of our lives entirely because we don't agree with this little strand of their theology. Or they offended me because they did this wrong. They treated this person wrong. They shared the stage with this person. They went to this conference. They work with so-and-so. Listen, when I read about Jesus, I see, him, I see the God-man just keep stepping in to all these people's lives who all have something against him. He steps into your life when you had something against him. You were Jesus' enemy when he came to you. To be a Christian is to have the security of your salvation intact when you step into other people's lives. And you can cross-examine them and you can ask questions, but we need, to, we need to be careful that we don't become this kind of people where when somebody does something wrong or says something wrong, we write them off. That's not loving your neighbor because he would have written me off long time ago. Where's the grace? We, we accept what people can bring that is good and we can reject what is wrong, rejecting what is evil, rejecting what is dangerous, but that doesn't mean we have to throw them out and doesn't mean we can't learn from them still. There's a lot we can learn from our enemies. Whoa, there's a lot of wisdom out there that God wants us to mine, to, to delve into and learn. Step one, Make sure you're right with the Lord. Step two, spend a lot more time in prayer than you do actually dealing with other people. Step three, you're understanding his word. You're reading it for yourself and you're growing in your own personal study. And then you have the strength of person to start adding other people into your life without being critical of them, mean to them, or excluding them. The Apostle Paul can become all things to all people because he's learned that through the grace of God, he has the freedom to interact with anyone, anywhere, on any terms about whatever they want to talk about, and the dude finds a way to bring it back to Jesus. Oh, that is strength of faith. But he didn't get there overnight. It took a while to, to harness this wisdom that Solomon is tapping into, that we need others. We need others. Now drop down to verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. You need the Lord above all others. You need the Lord first, foremost, above everything. The righteous man runs into the Lord. Like, wait a minute. Uh, God is invisible, Cameron. How in the world 
do I hide inside of God? That is a figure of speech. God is not really a tower, but he is to me. He's not really made of bricks and stones, but he is to me. I can't, I can't see him. I don't know where he is, but I do. The spiritual jewel. You can hide yourself in who he is. His personality, his character, his faithfulness, his love, his trust, his forgiveness, every character quality that God has, you, you put yourself into it and say, that's my God, I'm staying put. That's what it means to put yourself into the Lord. He is your strong tower. He's your refuge. Safe from what? What does God keep you safe from? Pause, don't answer out loud. Think of major theme in the book of Proverbs. You can either be wise or you can be uh, safe in God, safe from being You're safe. He saves you from foolishness. So that's a major theme of the book. In God, with God, for God, by God, avoids foolishness. That's what you're safe from. Well, what about my enemies? Are they fools? Yes, you're safe from them. What about bad decisions? Are those foolish decisions? Yes, then you're safe from them. That's how it works. All things for God, wisdom and judgment, discernment, all things against God, foolishness. How can I be safe from all the foolishness? Hide yourself in him. You need the Lord above all others. And then verse 11. I think that's there on purpose. Immediately after verse 10, it says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Yeah, I I got a lot of money. I'm a king. I can have a strong city. And the next line says, like a high wall. Where? What's your Bible say? Like a high wall. In his imagination. <laughs> Write this down. Wealth and power is an illusion. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care where you're hiding behind your wall. You think you're safe? Heart attack. See ya. Stroke. See ya. You don't think God can have his will and his way wherever you go, however much money you have? You can't even, you can't even keep your car extended warranty guy from finding you. You, you can't hide from them. You think you're going to hide from God? I don't care how big your wall is. He's getting through it. He knows where you are. He gets right to the heart. Wealth and power is an illusion. I was reading ahead. I found this in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. The Lord turns the king's heart wherever he will. <laughs> I don't care how tall your wall is. You can't, he's got your heart. <laughs> 21.31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle and the tank and the Humvee. Uh, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I don't care how much money you spend on your weapons. If God's not in it, not gonna happen. 
The victory belongs to him. Like, oh, oh yeah. We can prepare and we can be organized. Wealth, power on this earth in the scheme of all eternity, it's an illusion. You want to know the reality? Pick up the book of Revelation. And it doesn't matter how many people with everything they've got rage against the Lamb of God who comes back as the rightful king. He only has to speak the truth and open his mouth and settles it. It's over. No bow, no quiver. The sword of his mouth represents judgment and truth. And the truth of who he is lays everything to rest. All power, all wealth is an illusion. Which is why we need the Lord to be our strong tower. Last verse. Again, in my Bible, got verse 10 here, right on the other side, verse 24. Verse 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, the big idea here is you need quality over quantity. And I got to do, to shout, do a shout out to my King James brothers and sisters out there. Uh, your translation of verse 24 is very different than the Hebrew. Um, but let me tell you what some of the similarities are. The literal translation of verse 24 is a man of many friends, many afflictions. So in the King James, it says, a man that hath many friends must show himself friendly. If you don't show yourself friendly and you have a lot of friends, it's gonna go bad for you. But you kind of have to assume the word affliction should be in there and it doesn't say it. The King James just kind of assumes it. If you have many friends and you don't show yourself friendly, you're gonna have trouble, right? You gotta show yourself friendly. Um, the, my version, the ESV, makes it a little, more, a little more clear. A man of many friends or companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And most translations get that part right. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We need quality others, not just a lot of others. Uh, and by the way, flashback, verse 10 is the highest quality possible, the Lord. <laughs> you need to have the Lord as your refuge and as your strength. But having a lot of friends is not the key here. We need the kind of friends who stick closer than a brother. Write this down. Many friends will not prevent suffering. I think that's the gist of the first half of verse 24. You could, you could surround yourself with companions day after day, moment by moment. Suffering is still going to come into your life. That doesn't isolate you. In fact, that might even accelerate the suffering. Sometimes the more people you have, the more problems you have. You ever ask 12 people where they want to go to eat? That is not fun. You might settle on lunch, but it's dinner time. Like, wait, what just happened there? Right? It, the more people involved, sometimes the more complicated it gets. So it's not going to prevent suffering, but here's the, here's the last line. Family is not superior to mutual love and acceptance. 
And to the end of that, you might add, in Jesus. I'm talking about mutual love and acceptance in the faith realm. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that verse could, could be applied to Jesus Christ. With Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a friend who is not related to you by blood, who will stick closer to you than anyone you've ever had ever in your life and ever will have. True. Solomon wasn't thinking of Jesus. He was thinking of a real friend. He was thinking of the kind of friend that would stick by your side closer than even your blood relative would. There are relationships that are stronger than blood. And we know this. Our culture makes a lot about family first. If you really held to family first, you would never have gotten married. To be married is to take somebody into your life who is not your blood and to make that the most important relationship in your life. We, see, we understand this. We start a new family, and then, then, then we freak out when our kids start. Why are you leaving? Why are you starting your own family? Oh, wait, that's what I did. Duh. That's the way it works. We are all actually searching for a relationship that is stronger than blood. You can find it in Jesus, but you can also find it in a friend. And it doesn't say married friend. You can find a soulmate. You can find companionship in other people through your faith in Jesus. That is the only bond that is thicker than blood because it's forged in who Jesus is. It's forged in our faith, and it's amazing. To the side there, right, Matthew 12, verses 48 through 50. If you're taking notes, Matthew 12, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. At one point, people come and say, hey, your mom and your brothers want to take you home, and he says, this is my brother, these are my, this is my new family. Those who do the will of God. So it's possible, it's possible for you to live all of your life up here in your head doing your own thing. Proverbs says you need other people for better wisdom and judgment. Proverbs says you need other people for accountability and cross-examination. Proverbs says, you need the Lord above all other people as your strong tower. And Proverbs says, you need quality friendships that mean more than just blood. We do, and it's true. We all need that. The secret of all godly relationships is God. The faith we share in Jesus should unite us and give us all the wisdom we need to love God through all of our sufferings. Stand with me. Let's pray. Bow your head and close your eyes real fast. And Lord, we lift up uh, Karen to you right now that you would continue to be with her and watch over her in her moment of need. Help her medication and her health scare all to, to level out according to your will. Help us to keep uh, ministering to her as we remember her, uh, comfort her and guide her. Lord, help us to search our own hearts right now. 
that we would not hide and isolate ourselves inside of our own opinions, inside of our own perspectives, inside of our own experiences, inside of our own biases. Lord, help us to look at life the way you look at life. And thank you for reminding us this morning that we need other people. We need godly counsel, but we also need we also need people we disagree with, Lord. Help us to be patient as you bring them into our lives and as we figure out and hone and sharpen our faith that we would be secure in the Lord, our tower, but unafraid of many companions because we know in Jesus we have a friend who is closer than anyone else on earth to our hearts. Lord, for those who are struggling this morning and suffering and lonely, who feel isolated all the time, we pray that you would remind them that they are not truly alone. For our precious saints who are living in singleness, remind them that in this church they are not alone, that they are never second class. Help us to love one another openly, appropriately, and faithfully. Help us to be the kind of people that are willing to stick as close as needed in Jesus' name. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let Benediction verses for today are from Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Lord dismissed. <laughs>